Today, Victor and I, and a special guest, will be discussing and reviewing the Year of the Lotus Vampire the Masquerade companion book, Kindred of the East's companion book, Land of Eight Million Dreams. People think this is a dreaming book. Despite what the cover says, these people are wrong. This episode will be a companion to the episodes covering the world outside of Concordia and the Shattering, which we'll link in the description as they come online. And we're very excited to have our special guest, Catherine, with us for this episode, because as two middle-aged white gays, we're not going to catch a lot of the cultural context in this book, and we don't want to just rant on about something we can only get an outside view on. Since this is the first time we're going to be talking about the Sien, we will be doing this one-part book review and one-part session one style, how does this, or could this, fit into the game more broadly? Welcome, Catherine. Hey, don't forget, I'm speaking for every single Asian in this episode. Every single one of them. Just kidding. All of them? Every single one. Every single one of them. That is an awful lot of people because this book pretends to cover India, China, Korea, Mongolia, Japan. Am I missing anything? Vietnam, Thailand. Laos, Burma. But everyone forgets them because they're brown Asians. I guess we should probably start with what is Land of Eight Million Dreams? It's it's a doozy of a book. I have to open this by saying I actually rather enjoyed this book as a teenager and even an undergrad. And when I read it again for this review, I felt bad about that period of my life. It... It's hard to say exactly what this book is, but the most honest thing I can say about it is it's a source book for Kindred of the East that tries really, really hard to graft a lot of concepts onto the Changeling character creation model while bearing a Changeling brand and yelling very loud, we're not Changelings. That's what I'm not it is. sure. I'm not sure I would even consider this a changeling book in concept. It feels like it would fit better with Exalted. I mean, it's <laughs> it does have that same weird pan Asia, like we're using Asian culture as a shorthand for mysterious thing that Exalted does. Anything foreign and mysterious. That's right. But there's also the fact that this book is very loudly like. These are not changelings. They don't access the dreaming. They think the dreaming is weird, even though that's where their house is. Yeah, that was super weird. There's that whole discussion about the Western Paradise, which is their name for the dreaming, being where their celestial homeland is, but they are definitely not from the dreaming. Yeah, like, they're not... the other thing that kills me, and this ties into this whole thing... Several of the chapter titles are like, 
flowery words of Asian dreams, and then like the first two sentences are the Sien are not born out of dreams. I mean, it happens at least twice, maybe three times in the book. Then there's the whole section on the dreaming, which is very, very clear. They're not from the dreaming. They find Western changelings obsession with this place. Very, very bizarre. But our glorious homeland is there. And also we're not connected to dreams. But all the big branding spots in the book, not the text, the branding spots, the chapter headers, the title, are all going to mention dreams. I... This book does not know what it is. <laughs> it has no idea what it is. It's very clearly at the height of the whole Exalted as prequel period. It spends almost as much time talking about the Kuei Jin and the Qian Ta and the Henge Okai as it does talking about the Xian. I mean, I think one of my big issues with it is their gigantic, just absurdly large sidebar area where it's like how many words can I cram into this that no one is going to remember <laughs> and people are going to have to constantly look up a million years ago in university I took a year of Chinese and I kept having the experience of like bumping into these words that are clearly supposed to be Chinese but they didn't use a standard romanization style and they didn't use Hanyu and it sounds wrong to my tourist Chinese but I can't look it up because they didn't use any normal writing. The giant sidebar of this gigantic dictionary jumble to me it felt like very much a repetition of oh, all Asia is the same and it all uses the same words and it's all mysterious and unknowable to Western white people. And I was even more offended when they were like, oh, none of these not-kiths have ever seen a white person. White people are legendary and they're like zoo animals and maybe you'll see one in your lifetime. So the Sien are described as basically being fallen angels. I mean gods. There's an opening fiction that is sort of presented as one myth of how they fell from grace. That story is told that they sort of punished themselves or certain members of the Sien or the Shinma as they were back in the day. And so they're, they used to be gods and they wandered the celestial realms and now they're banished to earth. But they still have to play the role of gods. They still have to answer prayers. They're just small. And instead of being merged with a human the way Western changelings are, they take over a dead body and rejuvenate it to make their lifetimes. It's it's a strange set of imagery for we are still worshipped gods who work for humanity. It's also kind of weird that they get the body's knowledge when they inhabit it. I didn't quite get what was going on there if it's a dead body. And it is a dead body because, like, they have a sidebar talking about these guys running into wraiths generated by the person who died. Well, there's that, and then there's the fact that they flat out say, oh, they tend to lose their memories when they move into this new body. Tend to lose their memories, which is a whole setup for remembrance. 
Don't forget, Victor, even though they've forgotten all their memories of being sent, Sien, and now they've taken over this human body, then they abandoned their human families because, listen, Victor, I, do you want to lose the mandate of heaven? Because that's how you lose the mandate of heaven. Yeah, so that really highlights one of the first things that stood out to me on rereading this book is the entire balance between fairy and humanity is absent here. You are just your supernatural nature. As far as I can tell, there is no emphasis on humanity here at all. But they also don't emphasize strangeness. Like, they emphasize the mystery of the East, but the entire balancing act of I have this human part of me and this supernatural part of me, and how do I bring those together? By having them just discard their families, they throw out all of those themes of Changeling, which ends up centering the entire thing in only high mythic stories. Maybe urban fantasy versions of them, but only high mythic stories, which is weirdly out of place with the rest of the world of darkness. Yeah, I felt like from what I know about the rest of the world of darkness, this didn't really feel like it felt like more like a, you know, Chinese high fantasy game book. And I was just very confused by the body snatcher thing. And also by the fact that there was kind of no sense of balance at all because like one of the first things they say in the book is like, oh, people in Asia, they don't struggle with things like, you know, the fallout of industrialization or globalization. They all know the truth, you know, the one truth. And there's only one truth that all this stuff is out there and blah, 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 blah. Like there's no confrontation between the old ways and the new ways, which completely throws out the all the themes of Changeling and a lot of the themes of the other World of Darkness properties with a sense of, well, if everyone accepts everything's cool, then there's no conflict. And even the system here, like they, the, the Sien are concerned with Yin energy and Yang energy and Yujen and they never quite know what any of these things are because the book like vacillates wildly on yin and yang saying they're oppositional they're not oppositional they're realms that are oppositional they're not realms that are oppositional and then it flip-flops on yujen constantly like sometimes it says it's glamour sometimes it says it's banality sometimes it says it's worship sometimes it says it's diluted chi which i don't even know if that's a thing it's very, I don't know. Well, and there are a couple ideas in there that if they weren't all slapped into one big mess, I would be interested in. One of the things I did like about this book before, now upon rereading it, I, I don't anymore because it's it's not developed into a usable shape, but I like the idea of changelings who are still worshipped. That should apply very, very differently in different parts of Asia. Doing a pan-Asian version of that is enormously problematic, and despite a couple paragraphs of trying to address this, really ignores the impact of Maoism and its anti-religious push. But 
I like the idea of creating a class of changelings who are still worshipped and so have a different relationship with belief than, you know, changelings in America, honestly. I don't, I think there should be some of those changelings still in Europe in pockets and in places. And I like that this introduces that idea, but then it wraps it up in this alien, not changeling, pan-Asian package that makes it totally inaccessible unless you basically just scrap it and go, well, that's an interesting idea. Now let's actually build a version of it that's usable. I mean, I could do that on my own. I mean, you could in theory, but that would be a lot of work. Why pay for this book if you're going to do it for yourself? Valid. <laughs> One of the really big issues with this book is that its cosmology is bizarre and nonsensical and also at the same time weirdly like dovetails perfectly with china propaganda because <laughs> the entirety of the area covered by this book's narrative is the middle kingdom and i know you have feelings about that Catherine. <laughs> oh about how it's completely entirely racist or can i go into that am i allowed to just Oh, yes. Let me some yeah. of the salt. Okay, yes. here we go. All right. Oof. Oh, boy. Got to do my stretches first. So China calls itself the Middle Kingdom. And in this book, the Middle Kingdom covers all of Asia, which basically makes all of the Koreas are one district. Japan is one district. Tibet is one district. And all of them serve, you know, the august dickhead of jade in China. So it's an incredibly imperialistic kind of like, oh, China really rules all of the other Asians. And if you don't know anything about Asians, is that Asians, no one hates Asians more than other Asians. Like, oh my God, there is so much history of them invading each other, war crimes against each other. Like Asians just hate other Asians. And there's so much history and animosity behind that. Like not so much with the new generation, but this book is just so, like, an ignorant white person's understanding or concept of how Asia would be run without any of the background of how much they just fucking hate each other. <laughs> that also brings in the really, really weird Middle Kingdom, which is, in the real world, like you said, is China, is all of Asia, and the way they can never quite decide what they mean by that like sometimes they'll try to center something in another culture for a hot second and then like a chapter later very clearly it's not written from that point of view there's a whole thing about the august personage of jade but then there's a random moment in the book where they talk about one of the the groups of sien and like what would happen if the mikado tells them they have to do something and they don't do it and i went wait, the Mikado, where does the Mikado show up in this book? And I start going back through and it's, maybe it's somewhere else, but I only found it in this one section. And I'm like, why are we suddenly invoking something that's so distinctly Japanese, but not even claiming it as part of our cosmology? Not really. And then like, oh, Tanuki. Well, some of them are still in Japan, but they're mostly in, in China. And I'm like, what? Making Tanuki's badgers when like Tanuki is an animal? like an, an animal you could go and, and pick up and interact with you, a person, not your character. And it's just all of that stuff. It's, it's not even like exalted where exalted was at least like a fictional mismatch that was 
over there. And you could go, uh, all right, that's kind of awful, but it's over there. This is like, no, this is actually lived names and cultures and experiences. And it was just really miserably hard to read. Like, the August personage of Jade, like, I can buy that, because that is very solidly, the Jade Emperor is a real mythological figure, and his court, I can buy that, because Chinese mythology loves a good bureaucracy. Like, I can get behind that very easily, and it would be very interesting as kind of like, you know, is there the equivalent of the Sealy or Unsealy? I personally feel like there would be rotating courts of the seasons, or 12 of them, like one for each year. And that would be interesting. But I also, like, there there are some myths that refer to, like, really beautiful ladies as fairies. And, like, that's specifically a thing you can look up, like, fairy outfits for hanfu or traditional Chinese clothing. And I feel like, even though there aren't really, like, changeling myths of you know, like, the the supernatural child, I feel like there's enough that you could, like, dig in and make something, but you can't make something Pan-Asian because there's just so much stuff. You can't cover it in one, one book of this size. The other thing that frustrates me is I studied Japanese culture a fair bit in college, roughly a minor's worth. I didn't quite get a minor. And there are a lot of myths there that, while not changeling, certainly lend themselves to the supernatural world strongly influencing and changeling humans, and humans strongly influencing and changeling the supernatural world that you could tell a changeling the dreaming story with. But they're all deeply rooted in Japanese culture. And... As soon as you say, oh, no, no, it's all about China, and start taking Japanese artifacts, all of the, like, framework to have that make sense kind of disappears. And I think that's part of what I liked about this book when I was younger, is I knew those stories, and I'm like, cool, I can tell these stories with this. And I realized that, like, I scanned this for concepts, and I didn't read it deeply the first time. But now that I've actually read it, I'm like, oh, I had like a headcanon about how I would treat this, but that's not what's in this book. And all the stories I want to tell with this aren't really here, and they can't be in this framework. They just can't. And it's it was really kind of frustrating to experience that disconnect. The thing that really struck me on this read-through of the book is... In, in Changeling the Dreaming, most people don't acknowledge it, but humans are a seriously big factor in why the world is the way it is. Banality is a thing. Banality is not a thing in this. And then I bumped into it. The reason the Sien are stealing dying or dead bodies is to hide themselves from the Kuei it's not to protect themselves from banality. It's not some other, like, humanity is the issue here thing. It's because they're an accessory to Kindred of the East. I am not a fan of Kindred of the East, and this book inherited a lot of its problems. Well, and beyond Kindred of the East, there was a lot of word count in this book 
that talked about the Chienta, the Five Metal Dragons, the Hengeokai, even Strike Force Zero and the Sheikh from Demon Hunter X. And I sort of went through the book and I'm like, how much word count was devoted to this? And it's sizable. And one, it made me realize how much this is not a Changeling the Dreaming source book. It's a source book for that setting. And two, as little word count as was devoted to the actual societies of the Sien, there's like a few pages on their courts. It isn't enough word count to really tell what those courts create, like what the society that is created by those courts are you totally have to do on your own because there's so little word count devoted to it but then there's all this word count devoted to these other things that aren't really usable unless you have the books that give you the more comprehensive version of it anyway so like complaints about the pan-asian cultural issues with the year of the lotus aside this is a pretty hefty source book as the old you know paperback source books go but it just wastes like a quarter of its word count, not quite representing things you need other books for anyway, and not doing the one thing that introducing a new group requires, which is setting up the society and culture you would be existing within, like the supernatural society and culture. And just that, that contrast was just brutally clear to me on this reading. It's very much a book that requires you to own other books to use, and that kind of makes me mad, just from a professional standpoint. Like, you couldn't just pick up this book and then be like, okay, I'm gonna run, I'm gonna run, you know, a Changshi story. Like, you'd have to own not just the core books, but then all the other Year of the Lotus books, and that's, that's just so much to me. Well, and what's funny is Changeling the Dreaming is not one of the books you need. Like, the only artifact in here that really requires Changeling the Dreaming is the Legacies. They mapped this weird assortment of Celia and Unseelie Legacies onto your yin and yang nature, and it's, one, it's strange, and I don't like it, and it's not really good, but it's the only thing that actually requires Changeling. Like, they reference some of the backgrounds, but then they write up those backgrounds for you in the book. So it's a changeling book, and all the book dependencies are actually other Year of the Lotus books. So the stuff that's in this book, it gives you a rundown of the fictionalized mirror world that is the Middle Kingdom, and... I get that this book was written in the late 90s, but encyclopedias were a thing back then, and consulting an encyclopedia would have helped in a couple of different ways. <laughs> um, the religion section is a particularly egregious example, and you get a bunch of... What are they called in this book? They're not kiths. They use the word kith a couple times, but... I don't remember what they're called. Was it Quananjin? That's it. Does that word mean anything? It doesn't look like a real word. That would be very hard for me to say because it's written with Western letters and not Hanzo. 
which would be how I would read it. Like, it could okay. be anything. It could just be made up. So you get a handful of kiths. There's this weird, like, noble-commoner divide that they go out of their way to say doesn't really matter about every time they bring it up. The commoners are all kind of a high schooler who likes anime heard about this once level creations that kind of reflect something in a really distorted way it seems like (laughs) and then there's the elementals who are the nobles and i don't even know where that came from the elementals are tied to i'm gonna say the chinese elemental cycle which I mean, okay, they at least don't stick with the four standard elements, which I've seen a lot of Asian drag products then slap in the four Western elements because they're more accessible, comfortable, recognizable to people. But it does feel kind of weirdly obligatory to then just say, all right, we're going to make a noble for each of these, as opposed to trying to find actual myths to invoke. Some of the nobles might be myths that that I don't know of. The only myths I recognized were among the commoners, and some of them were changed beyond recognition. I will say that. Even the like the pronunciation guides, this is a weird quibble, but like even the pronunciation guides, I'd look at them and be like, I have never heard that word said that way. Their pronunciation guide for Hanuman was Hanuman, which is very much how my Hick family would say it. One thing that I also find very confusing is that they uh, this book asserts that, how do I put this, that the feudal system is a Western creation, and yet you have these poor Sien, who are basically cut off from their homeland forever because they tried their best with a shitty situation. And then you have the nobles who just kind of tool around all day in these dream palaces, and yet there's not a divide between them? The nobles have to ask now. They can't command. Apparently that matters. Well, and the the only way that you could say that feudalism is... A European creation is if you only have the anime romanticized view of the samurai and you've never actually heard of the Three Kingdoms period of China. Like, and you're completely <laughs> unfamiliar with Japanese literature. Like, the pillow book yeah. is a major thing. And, like, as much as I liked Shei Shonagon, she was definitely very privileged. I mean, all of the Bakufu were. It, it was a different feudal system, but the things we think of as being feudal, the sort of identifying traits, all apply to all of the Bakufu. I mean, <laughs> yes, I, that statement and trying to get rid of the tension between commoners and nobles does not speak to anything I know about Chinese or Japanese culture. I mean, there's definitely a different set of norms around taking up your place in society 
and owning that. And there's, I know there's less of an emphasis on individualism. I am super uncomfortable personally outlining exactly what the shape of that is because I know I will screw it up. But that's not the same thing as saying there's no tension between the commoners and the feudal lords. Like those two things are just not synonymous. It very much was kind of, to me, if this book was a person, it's that guy who watched Runa and Kenshin once and didn't really pick up on the history and somehow managed to not never watch the History of Japan video on YouTube. And he desperately wants an Asian girlfriend. And any of them will do, because they're all the same, right? Oof. Yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of ripped through the cultural representation. Maybe it's worth talking a little bit about the new magic system that is introduced. And a system is a both a generous description and also inadequate to describe its complexities. They got rid of the arts and realms and reintroduced something that clearly grew out of some of the same ideas, but went in a totally different direction. You have alchemies, and I'll be honest, I think I'm going to represent this correctly, but a lot of what's written about this system I had to read over several times to make sense of. There is no character sheet included in this book, even though the stats are completely different than any other supernatural. So bear with me. I might mess some things up here. You have an alchemy. I think it's called um, the alchemies when you purchase them are called I Chi. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And there are five levels, and they are incredibly open-ended. Or they try to be incredibly open-ended. Unlike the other open-ended systems White Wolf has created, like the spheres, where they're open-ended, but they're very specifically described, and then they're built so you can intermingle them and use some creativity to connect multiple powers to create more complicated things, this is just, here are five levels for five elements, and we're going to spend two-thirds of a page describing each one without fully defining, like, exactly what they are, so get creative. And then a bunch of modifiers you can apply, and you have to decide with the storyteller whether each power is yin or yang and depending on your tempers that will change the difficulty and then the modifiers would be things like your secondary realms so like there's a modifier that's basically seen there are a couple modifiers that are basically seen so there's something for affecting an area there's something else for affecting multiple targets and so you go through this process of picking your power deciding if it's yin or yang creatively just deciding if it fits in the level and they're very clear you have to do that work this is not for people who like prescriptive systems which this is one of the things that i liked about this book previously i like open mushy systems i've also learned that they don't work for a lot of people since that time so you pick all of that and then you can do magic there are really no guides on damage there are no guides on 
really the crunchy systematic things people want. That's up to your storyteller. And then there's another alchemy, which is internal alchemy. And internal alchemy culminates in getting back into heaven. So the thing that is a huge lift in all the other World of Darkness games, you know, Galconda, Transcendence, Siochan, the equivalent to that in this game is just getting to fifth level in one of the powers, which is really strange. I, I still can't totally wrap my head around that. You forgot the best part about the alchemy system, though. Oh, yes, do share. <laughs> they also have fortunes, which are specific narrative conditions that you can meet to change the difficulty of your roles that yeah. are bizarre and contribute nothing, really. Things like wearing a red shirt or it being a three-quarters waning moon. Stuff that contributes nothing but is there in this weirdly complicated system and i i think like i think the fortunes are an outgrowth of the cancer that was like first edition bunks maybe second edition bunks but this was this came out solidly in second edition i mean this was it was an art house, but it was definitely a second edition book because it's all in black and white. And I think it's probably an outgrowth of the way people thought about bunks back then. But yeah, I remember reading those conditions and being like, oh, okay, so I will give my character a compass and say he always stands west before casting. Or ask the storyteller, oh, hey, is the person I have to target standing west so I can keep, you know, line of sight on them and then they're going to roll a die? Like, none of that sounds compelling. Or I'm always going to wear the color that is actually connected to my magic so it becomes a default. And then right. we'll get into those fun arguments at my table of, well, I would have. Right. It's And it, it just, the whole thing, the entire alchemy system on trying to read it. I didn't finish it because this is the part of the book that gets really self-contradictory and I had to give up. But it seems like it's complicated for the sake of being complicated and at the same time, very shallow. So I liked this system previously and I know what about it I liked. I dig big open-ended systems that let you take a lot of narrative... I'll say license, but reading it again, it feels like the original cantrip system was way too restrictive. It wanted to be open-ended and it didn't really quite succeed. C20 has gotten closer to what I think should really be there by rewriting a lot of the powers and consolidating things. C20 cantrips are pretty close to what I want fairy magic to be. And they went, oh, well, we didn't hit the mark there, and we really want to do that open-ended but kind of fairy tale magic thing, so let's just throw out all the guardrails, is what this feels like. And you end up with a soup that is just not... It doesn't answer any of the questions a system needs to answer. Like, how much damage will I do? How do I defend myself? what is involved in completing these actions what like 
it's so wrapped up in having a system for everything, but then it kind of fails at having a system for the things that matter. I would agree with you there. I There are some things in the book that I was, I got my hopes up really high. Like I thought, for example, that Jade was going to be a kind of dross. And I was like, oh, that's a really cool idea. But then it ended up being like anathema to them, like cold iron, which makes no sense because... I don't know. This The whole thing was very... I was very sad at the outcome. I was very sad that Jade was not incorporated more yeah. in a way that made sense. The execution with Jade is really weird to me because there's a specific background for owning Jade things that don't hurt you. And then there's this whole, like... I think it was like two paragraphs thing describing like different types of jade that are good for different things, which isn't my thing. It's kind of needlessly complicated, but it's there. And back in the day, I did a bunch of reading trying to figure out like, how can I salvage parts of this game? And I started with their anathema because I was like, okay, like, is this jade thing a real thing? And the answer is kind of in very specific circumstances but china's a huge place and like if you're going with taoism like this book says it is blood is there anathema so i don't and even then like taoism is so tied up with folk medicine that i'm sure you could drive 50 miles in another direction and get somebody else's opinion and it would be different yeah and the whole thing they did with jade like when I was reading that section where it compared it to cold iron and it went, oh, jade is their anathema, but it has to be very specifically activated jade. And then even if it's activated, it has to be used as a weapon. They can still hold it. It's not just contact. And I went, wait, so basically we're giving changelings the ability to wield cold iron against each other with no repercussions. Even like from a lit standpoint, like cold iron in vanilla land changeling exists as kind of a metaphor for like industrialization and loss of belief in naturalistic things and that loss of reverence for those things and jade's just a thing that just exists like it doesn't like that's a rock that's a rock (laughs) simon yeah so like they're opposed to an element of the natural world and like this whole book has this like serious like i'm gonna paint with all the colors of the wind thing going on but they their anathema is a part of the natural world and part of the natural world that is an intrinsic part of the traditions that they supposedly grow from so it's again not really an equivalent to the iron metaphor, it was just, oh, well, we have to have an anathema for this group of supernaturals. Vampires have the sun and fire, werewolves have silver, yada, yada, yada. We have to have something. It felt more like completing the template checklist than a standalone meaningful narrative choice. I find that so goofy because there's so much mythology about, like, unclean stuff or unlucky stuff that like that was ripe for the picking and they could have just done that like the blood thing okay that that makes sense that's kind of unclean like don't go smash you know splashing sin in the face with blood like okay i can understand that what they could have done which wouldn't have taken a ton of word count 
and would have sort of accommodated what Simon was talking about is they could have said the Sien's anathema is uncleanliness, but they all have a very particular version of that. So it could have been kind of like the, the banality anathema in C20 and said, okay, when you make your character pick one of these examples, they're just examples. If you find another one and your storyteller thinks that'll work as a, in a system balance sense, go for it and list, you know, several different mythological dynamics. It would have taken a sidebar and a paragraph of description, which they devoted that much to Jade anyway, to like try to make it make sense. If they had done something like that, it would have been a step away from the Pan-Asian all the same and allowed for some of that localization flavor. It wouldn't have taken more word count and it would have actually made sense. Okay, we've dug into what we don't like about this book. What would you have liked to have seen in this book? Like, big picture, what would a changeling, the dreaming setting in, I'm going to say, a couple cultures in Asia. We're not going to try to represent everything this book claims to represent, but maybe China or Japan specifically. Like, What would you want that to look like? I would have liked to have seen something rooted in myths more. Like, we've talked about this, Victor, uh, with Hiromi, that I'm actually going to be writing a couple Japanese kiths for a storyteller's vault project. And... I just would have liked to have seen something like Asia is ripe with myths. There's all sorts of oogity boogities out there that are ripe for the taking. And I would have liked to see some actual references to any actual mythological creatures. <laughs> Aside from the Monkey King, because we did have the Monkey King for a hot minute there. The, the history section was so weird for me because it jumped from myth to myth, but it only spent about a paragraph to three paragraphs on each one. Like, we jumped from Journey into the West to Hoi the Archer, and, like, the stories are, like, they're trying to weave them together as sort of a cohesive history that just doesn't fit. Most mythologies don't care that much about consistency dogma is a abrahamic religion thing and at the core this book if it's even going to cover like china or japan like those are both reasonably large places with some pretty big cultural variation like they need they needed to be more willing to say this is a possible truth. That's a possible truth. This is the truth in this area. This is the truth in this area. And like, just be willing to not go with a massive, overarching, imperial, mandate of heaven, celestial court thing. Because you just can't. It doesn't work. Yeah, I, I almost would have liked to have seen a couple different pantheons is not the right term, but a couple different mythological frameworks used to create political tension. 
instead of their many courts that I have to be honest, I read and the knowledge has already fallen out of my brain. I couldn't tell you what they were because I just couldn't figure out what to hold on to. Instead of that, do the bureaucracy of heaven as one mythological framework and then do something else from another region and say, these are different organizations centered in different parts of this setting and acknowledge that there are others beyond this and let them be in conflict with each other. Because one of the things that was frustrating about this book is it didn't devote any time to what are the actual conflicts within Xian society. Okay, they have this these conflicts with the Kuei Jin or the Qian Da. Like, there's a lot of word count devoted to that. But in terms of what are the tensions within their society, which every society has, I couldn't tell you what they are. And if they'd done that, then we could have had our representation of the celestial bureaucracy as well as something that's more like an array of Shinto gods. They could have actually had some of the the supernatural aspects of various Buddhist traditions and represented those as their own thing. And I would have much rather seen that. And since they gather from faith, instead of saying, oh, hey, we can gather from anything, including Christianity, because that's a thing they say, the conflict could have actually been rooted in the need to protect your believers or your dreamers. And that could have created some conflicts that actually sort of resonate with changelings themes in different ways. I would have really liked to have seen something more like that. I really love the idea of a uh, a worship epiphany. And I think if it's done well, that could be really, really interesting and a great addition to the book. Because in mythologies, there's so many of like these hero figures or these half supernatural figures that are kind of worshipped in pop culture. And I think that would be a really great fit along with the other epiphanies. So I would want to see a functioning uh, worship epiphany too. Yeah, and a worship epiphany would be really interesting if you also added in some of the Chinese immortals, thinking specifically of Lu Dongbing, because I remember reading some of his stories and being like, wow, this is a really interesting place. You could have an immortal running around being the figure behind infrastructure projects, because he's got all these stories about redirecting rivers and moving mountains and things. And like, do people using the bridge that he was the force behind creating, is that worship? Like, does something else need to happen there? Would anybody notice if it was? Like, those are interesting questions, at least. To get back to Western Changeling and how this would impact that, I really like the idea of a worship epiphany that isn't geographically locked, but is maybe very, very rare in... America, because that opens up these really interesting stories about neo-paganism. And there are traditions of fairy worship in neo-paganism. And there's a whole conversation about the weird, like, postmodern nature of neo-paganism, and is it really belief? 
and you know what what are some pagans really doing i say all of this having gone through a large part of my life as a neo-pagan and now not really being neo-pagan anymore but even if you do especially if you do include those sorts of questions if we introduce an actual worship epiphany and then take these arguably traumatized changelings in america and reintroduce worship to them and deal with how do they even recognize it? Do they feel like they can be worshipped? Do they know how to engage with it? And then, like, is it real belief? Those are a ton of interesting stories that suddenly open up. And it gives us a place to actually be able to answer the question then of what do changelings in India look like? What do changelings in Japan look like? And really dig into what do changelings in a post-Mao China look like? And actually grapple with that instead of like two paragraphs of Maoism and they're dangerous and this is difficult, but you're still a god and it's fine, which is kind of what this book did. I, I want all of that to be opened up. And total like surface level wish list thing. I would like a Changeling the Dreaming source book to actually feature the dreaming somehow. This does not, but it'd be nice if it did. Well, it it doesn't, and the like two paragraphs on the dreaming even say the dreaming is more powerful. There are more trods. It explicitly calls out that they're different colors, which I think is meant to be a the silver paths aren't here, and neither is the silver ban. They're more powerful chimera. So like they acknowledge that the dreaming would be more powerful but we have no fully manifest fairies. It's not that the shattering hasn't come here, and so we have firstborn wandering around, but the dreaming is more powerful, and we have more powerful chimera, but no one has sanged themselves. I mean, even the way it addresses the dreaming doesn't make any sense. And it has a really, really harmful implication, because, like... Changeling the Dreaming, like, here's a bunch of European kiths, and then the Player's Guide, here's a bunch of Native American kiths, and then whatever the Menahune book was, like, here's a bunch of Hawaiian kiths, and then we go to China, Japan, India land, and nobody feeds on dreams, nobody sane themselves, there are no fae, really... What are we saying about dreams in this part of the world, and do people in this part of the world have them? I mean, powerful chimera, so clearly they do, but they don't? Because more powerful chimera, but not powerful enough to, like, grasp naming, I guess. At least the art was really good. The art was good. So there's one other topic I want to get to before we actually, like, get into the the grading and art as part of the grading. The one other question I wanted to ask, and Catherine, this is especially, like, I'm curious about your thoughts on this. Something I see a lot of people talk about online, a lot of my friends talk about, is the difference in experience between, like, being a source lander, living in a culture and the source of that culture, as opposed to being diaspora or the difference between being first-generation diaspora as opposed to being children of immigrants who are living outside their culture. Even though in later year of the Lotus books, like 
location books for San Francisco, etc. They do list Hsien NPCs. So they explicitly open the door to what does Hsien look like in America? I don't feel like I have any concept of how I could tap any of these themes in an American setting. You what could. were your thoughts on that? Um, I found this book especially bewildering in that section where they go through all the quote-unquote like the kits, the uh, the quananjin, and they lump all non-Pan-Asian people together as Wygoren, which is the polite way of saying foreigner. And they're like, oh, I have never seen one whole white man. And it was just bewildering to me that there was no concept of diaspora or people, like, just humans traveling anywhere. And because the Tian meddles so much in human affairs, it was a bit of a shock to me. Like, I, I couldn't suspend my disbelief on that one. And I think it's a question that's really worth asking and worth exploring in Changeling games, but this book kind of didn't... Uh, there's no room for it. It kind of walls off the Middle Kingdom as like its own dimension where, you know, no Boggan will ever trod. And it just separates people in a very kind of worrying way. There was a discussion in the culture section somewhere where they were talking about foreigners. And they they did mention that foreigners exist, but... They hand wave the whole thing away by saying that the Sien believe it is less rude to ignore someone than it is to risk misunderstanding. Which I'm sure there's someone on Earth who feels that way. I have never met this person. Especially given the experience that I've had with the myriad friends who have gone and lived in Japan. I have many, many friends who have gone and lived in Japan through the JET program or through other programs. The fact that we're including all of Asia and saying this, even within the level of the question, are there corners of Asia where that might be true? No, but then there are parts of Asia that where there is an enormous amount of cultural connection and people traveling. I mean, Hong Kong belonged to Britain for how long? I mean, the forced westernization of Japan is not a minor cultural point, but we're going to wall this off entirely. It's just, it seems... It, I don't know how to describe how it seems, but uh, it does not have verisimilitude. It was just very uncomfortable, I will say. Like, it, it felt vaguely uncomfortable, and I didn't like it. That is a good one-sentence review of this book, because I kind of feel like I need therapy after reading it. Now we're going to go ahead and score this thing. And we'll include Catherine's scores as well. Catherine, so you know, we, we generally do this on a scale of one to five. And then there are a couple other questions that are just kind of more binary. 
The first one, what era of changeling development does this book fit into? We can't answer that question. Like It doesn't. It doesn't. It's, it's a vampire book. It's barely because it's a Year of the Lotus book. Yeah, it's a source book for Kindred of the East. That's what it is. That's the era it fits in. System is functional. False. I've I've actually tried to use this system a few times. It's interesting inspiration for improv as a storyteller. That I is agree with that. That's the same way I've used it. <laughs> that is the most function it gets. If you need a player to actually be able to grapple with what am I allowed to do, it does not function. I give it a no on functionality because I don't do that much game dev, but this would not have made it past any of my bosses. They would have thrown this in my face and said, absolutely not, because it doesn't function. So cohesive with other Changeling the Dreaming products? No. Like, no, it's cohesive with Kindred of the East. It is not cohesive with other Changeling products. It's its, its own thing. Um, enjoyable reading one through five. I'm torn between one and two. I think I'm probably going to go with two. There were little islands of ideas in this book I kind of liked. I don't necessarily like how they were implemented. And I, the thing that killed any enjoyment I got out of this book was the Pan-Asian-ness. But honestly, there were parts of this book that if you went in and stripped out all the Pan-Asian vocabulary and then ripped it out of this context, I would have kind of enjoyed reading. So I'll give it a two. Simon? I'm going to give it a one and a half. It is usually correct, readable English, but it definitely had a few points where the editor was drunk. You mean and... when they renamed animism animalism? Or when there were a couple of sentences where somebody had done a find replace but didn't pay attention to the clause that came before or after and you got some weird verb disagreements or there was one point where somebody uses the word empirical to refer to empire, which is not a thing that word does. I give it a straight-up one, because it made me so mad, I had to stop and go outside into the 90-degree heat to do farm chores to, like, work off the anger. That's fair. The next category is aesthetic, so this one's just about art and layout. I would probably give it a three. The layout is World of Darkness layout. The art's pretty good. There were no pieces that stood out to me as really memorable like i can think of you know pieces in the island ed chapter or even some of the stuff in denizens that really popped visually there are no art pieces like that in here but there also aren't any art pieces that i looked at and went oh oh no no what's happening here you get some stereotypes and some misfortune just because it's it's art for this book and setting but like the quality i actually thought was pretty high so I'd give it a solid three. I also give it a three. Like the art was pretty nice, but nothing really jumped out at me as especially pleasing. I wasn't mad at it. Like it's fine. It's standard. The art itself is professional. 
Yeah, I was originally going to give this one a four, and then I found in the character creation section, there's a picture of a murder homicide in progress, and contextually, based on where it is in the book, it's implying that the person who apparently killed the other person and is about to commit suicide is going to be reborn as a Sien in a couple of seconds. And I was like, okay, that is a little bit not okay. So there was nothing artistically wrong with it, but it was definitely like, okay, um, this is... This is content warning stuff, and maybe if you're trying to sell something, don't have this specific thing in it. At least not in a Changeling book. Like, there's a certain amount of intrinsic content warning that comes with, you know, a vampire book, where you open it up and the beginning sets a tone. When you open this book up, it sets a tone going through that I would say, in terms of the content warning sort of expectation, is actually more in line with Changeling than any of the other lines. And then there's suddenly this thing at the end. If it had been in a vampire book, I would have been like, okay, I expect this out of vampire. If it had been in a wraith book, I would have been like, okay, you know what you're getting into as long as it's not in the first quarter of the book. Anyone who's not going to be okay with that is going to put the book down before then. And here, it really comes out of nowhere. All right, Victor, what's your one-sentence review? My one-sentence review is, if you really like Exalted and you really like Kindred of the East, you probably want to add this to your Year of the Lotus Shelf. But that's about it. I would say that I had so much beef with this book that I could get into cattle ranching and just switch my farm over. That's how mad it made me. My one-sentence review of this book is there are shining gems of mediocrity buried in racist garbage. If somebody tried to give me a free copy of this book, I would run away. So that was our review of the Sien and our description of what exactly the Sien are. I'd like to thank Catherine for reading through this book and sharing her thoughts with us before we go is there anything that you'd like to pitch any projects you're involved with yeah victor you and i worked on uh, well you did all the editing for bootstraps which was my inaugural adventure into the storyteller's vault and you can canonically punch a nazi in that adventure so i don't know what else there is to say about it it's a fun little adventure i enjoyed editing it and and doing layout on it it was a cool project to jump in on thank you very much for joining us we'll include a link to bootstraps in the text description of the podcast and i hope after all of that everyone else uh, is willing to join us for our next conversation on walking away from arcadia even though i don't normally give a special thanks specifically to simon a special thanks for powering through this one with us you did your best simon you did great oh it's just like we're playing Frostpunk. you did your best everyone <sighs> ended up enslaved or dead but you did your best